to another podcast of the IFC's individuation broadcast. But this podcast is a takeover by what we are calling ourselves. Gavin, would you like to talk a little bit about what we're calling ourselves? The name has emerged, the Band of Brothers. Why? Why that name? Well, because we seem to have an inextricable link into the mystery that wants to come through us and dance together. And so we're letting it do it. So you're saying that we have mystery together? Yes, we do. Okay. Now, in this episode of Band of Brothers, <laughs> the Individuation and Transformation podcast, we are going to discuss what is the freaking mystery. And why do I have this freaking accent? For God's sakes. I know it's been coming out, so let's discuss everything. Okay, Gavin. This is Dr. Wahab Al Samurai, by the way. I just wanted to introduce myself. And joining me is Gavin Fry. Gavin. Well, it seems to me when we're most alive, when we're most alive, we're emerging into the new that we have not ever experienced before. So you and I have a friendship that is marked by permission to coming into the new. So we don't even know, and we've said this, what this podcast will be about. This is a discovery process from beginning until end. So are we going to do this every week, Gavin? <laughs> beginning to end, what does that mean? I don't understand. Our listeners need to know. <laughs> Especially since I am a different person with my accent, so let's talk about it. Well, but your accent may be different next week. If we're still alive next week, I think we should commit to doing a podcast at my home. Ooh, what day is that? That's Thursdays. Ooh, Thursdays. Yes. Maybe we release on Saturday. Okay. That's How's that? Good. Does yes. that work? Yeah. So we will release this podcast, which is Band of Brothers Podcast. The Individuation and Transformation podcast on Saturdays. So this Saturday we will release our first one. I think we have already released one. It's called um, As Far As Crow Flies. Unfortunately, I misspelled flies. I spelled it like it's your zipper instead of crow flying away so that was the intention so i just wanted to make sure everybody knew because once we publish it's very difficult to change things around we will work on them but uh, if you keep saying keep seeing as far as crow and flies well you know crow eats flies crow can't live without flies that's another explanation for <laughs> crow and flies. i see that you're going to lead through this podcast on a line of energy called zany. <laughs> so, As the Crow Flies was coined by me two weeks ago when we were talking about how I live about 20 miles away from you on Bainbridge Island. I moved here about three months ago. I just completed a divorce. And someone told me that you and I might get along really well. And darned if we didn't get together and things have just been popping like popcorn. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of things we're considering hatching, and there's also just some really good old time we're spending time together. So one of the things we might want to make sure that we 
let our listeners know is that there's something about the power of kindred friendship that is so deeply nourishing. And um, being new in the Pacific Northwest Washington area, I'm aware that since we connected about three weeks ago, it's like, I feel more at home here. I feel more anchored because there's a community with you and your wife, Sarah. And I'm incredibly grateful about that. And um, we began, you and I, talking about Band of Brothers and perhaps creating some work that people might like to participate in of a transformational nature. Because we both seem to be fascinated with Carl Jung and the process of individuation or coming into who we are. Transformation, shadow, Mm, archetypes, archetypes, unconscious, and um, that is a soup. Creation. That's a soup that I just have been fascinated for as long as I can remember. And when I read about Jung, there's something that he transmitted that's beyond even the words. There's something that he was living in and orbiting in, and he saw, and he was fascinated with. I remember reading passages of Jung where he would go be with the Africans and describe about his experience of being with the Maasai Africans. And then he went to the United States and he was with the... Uh, Native was, Americans. Yeah, the Navajos. Yeah. And he did it in such a way, cross-cultural, which is his bent, that had such a reverence for their experience and saw that they were in many ways so far ahead of the Europeans. And that it's so easy to mock them and miss the grounded cosmology that included nature that was just brought heaven into them every day in their rituals. So I don't know throughout this entire life if I'll ever find the end of Jung's brilliance, but I sure thank him. And I'm glad that we share that as a love. He seems to have infected us with an energy of discovery. That's true. That has, I think for me, I think also for you, you could speak more to that. But for me, I think it has pervaded my life and my understanding of the world and how I am connected to the world and how I am um, an integral part of this world. Mm -hmm. And I think one of his gifts to me was that I am an integral part of the universe, not just this world, but the cosmos. We are part of creation. Yeah. And I think to give him credit, he inspired the idea that we are the creators of certain ideas. We come to be possessed by them. We come to be... Um, taken by them, we come to be changed by them, but they are humanity's stories. Yeah. I mean, we're myth-making creatures. That seems to be, with our imagination, um, one of the most exquisite parts of us. And um, another teacher that means a lot to me, that's influenced me a lot, is Alan Watts, who's just enraptured with the reality that we are one with the universe in such an exquisite way that just, it's just takes our breath away. And um, 
The thing that I find most fascinating about Caronia at this moment is that I was introduced to him by reading his autobiography, Memories, Dreams, and Reflections. And little did I know, but he wrote that at the end of his life, and he asked that it not be published until he died. Because in it, he had the courage to be incredibly transparent about the entire experience he had in his life. All of his dreams when he was a child, his childhood, his challenges, his relationship with Freud. And his other writings have a tendency to be more academic. They still have mystery woven within them. But it seemed to me he was as brave and as groundbreaking and pioneering as he was, he was incredibly human because he was sensitive about being criticized. Mm. And he cared about how people viewed him and his work. But something at the end, people bothered him and said, you must capture your life in relaying your depth of experience and all your dreams included. And he finally relented. And I'm so thankful he did. It's just my favorite book of all time. So basically, I think what you're reflecting on is the part that I always think of uh, in dreams, reflections, and memoirs. The part that always strikes me is he finally decided that to make his psychology grounded in the world and connected to everyone, you have to reveal yourself. You do. You do. I personally think that is how the most vibrant experience we have of ourselves gets revealed and we can taste it is when we can be transparent, when we can be courageously transparent. Uh, last week we did a podcast, I think, where I was talking about my marriage or I was talking about my difficulties. Um, your abuse, I think. You were also that's talking true. about that's the true. sexual abuse by your brother. Yeah, but for me, inside of me, if I'm here with you now, talking about my abuse or my vulnerability, you even were taking me on edges trying to do with forgiveness that I was struggling with as we were working. But those are the very edges of what I'm struggling with. So to represent that, I mean, I'm a professional, I've been a therapist for 35 years, but I don't really have a desire to try to represent myself as somehow together. I just want to be here. I want to be present right now with what's going on between us and inside of me. That's the most important thing. And I'm discovering that as we go along. So I think what our audience would like to know is, are we talking about being genuine? Yes. Yes, that's an aspect of it. But presence is a very different kind of connection. Mm. Presence is when the other gives of oneself to the other mm. and opens themselves up in a way that can be taken advantage of. That's not what should happen, but that is presence. It's when you open yourself to the possibility and opportunity of the other. This doesn't always go well, so we have a tendency to shut it out of our life, to disconnect from it, mm. to throw it away. And I think it's detrimental to um, creation, to inspiration, to... What do you think, Evan? Well, I think that... Uh, I remember my spiritual teacher said one time, the way you know you've forgiven someone is if you give them the chance to hurt you again. Mm. 
which is what, what you're speaking of. But I also think my train of thought, I'm sorry. Well, I um, think where we were going with it, Gavin, is that you were talking about your spiritual teacher, how he was trying to make the point that forgiving is something deeper in terms of innocence mm. and how it's connected to innocence. Yes. I'm in the middle of writing, finishing chapters in my book, and this morning I was spending a couple of hours and I was immersed with asking for inner revelation about the quality of vulnerability because that's part of what we're talking about here and vulnerability is typically viewed as something to be avoided or it's viewed as a weakness my experience is that our strength is actually in vulnerability there's power in vulnerability by vulnerability I mean a receptivity to being touched to be exchanged with and you talked about presence that's not only exchanged with you and I, that's with me exchanging with a presence larger than me. And uh, so vulnerability just means an openness to as much as possible whatever's present. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a methodology of perception that is quite highly, highly sensitive and pays attention to a lot of levels at one time. Um, but it's constantly revealing itself in the moment, in the moment. And so to me, there's such a privilege in being right here, uh, sitting at this table with you and talking about Jung, talking about vulnerability. Uh, I know we're both privileged to do the work we do. I know for me, whenever anyone invites me into their consciousness, I go in with an attitude of extraordinary honor. It's like I'm being invited into sacred territory. And not only am I invited where most people haven't been invited um, inside someone's consciousness, but I'm being invited into an edge where that person hasn't even gone in their consciousness. They're going deeper while we're together. In fact, our holding a space together allows that to take place. That's where that discovery process is. You were so I think uh, the way I stated it to, I was talking about this as because me and you have been discussing this for a while, yeah. and it's really touched a very uh, interesting chord in me. And the way I'm thinking about, and I've been quoting you in regards to the Oscars about innocence and how you could see on these famous actors and actresses' faces the sincerity of which they really want this prize, even though these people are gifted with large fortunes and um, great accolades and a lot of love. This is acknowledgement of the child has succeeded. And so we talk about it as uh, you said, uh, the innocence, and you said something else. You talked about how they were, uh, you could see the look of, uh, of loss when they lost the, the trophy. Right. The way I've been talking about it is that if you think about it, it's only a trophy. Right. 
There is no set of monetary comp- compensation with mm. it. It's a trophy that sits on a shelf. You're not going to sell it even though it could cost no. $100,000. No. You're not going to sell it. It's basically a trophy for you to look at. And so when you get trophy, is the way I put it to my students, you are elated. Mm. You are on top of the world. Mm. The problem is, is when you realize it's just a trophy. Right. The trophy is a symbol. It's the experience that I love watching the, let's say, the Oscars a couple weeks ago. To see those who won and those that lost. And it reminds me of someone who once shared with me that this world is a very interesting place. I think Shakespeare might have talked about this. Where the world is a play. And so when you, when anyone gets a hold of who they are, like these actors and actresses who would choose a role They might dedicate six or nine months of their lives to playing a particular character in a particular story that would have an impact on thousands and millions of people and they would be immersed in the story. But they did it from deep inside of who they are. And so then when they get acknowledged, it's, it's, the process is one of actually being caught by the world, seen by the world, the world reflects back to us who we are in a deep way and we get ourselves in a deep way that we can't by any other avenue. And so there's something quite... Um, I remember winning an award in 1983. I was student of the year at a university. That was yesterday, Gavin. <laughs> that was, that's, that's almost we, 40 I was, years ago. I was there. <laughs> 1983, I was there. Yeah. I saw you get that award. That was nothing, bro. Well, Are you comparing it to an Oscar? Is that what you're saying? Well, when I, I remember the moment when they called my name, and I was absolutely stunned, and I was transported into another dimension where I felt like I was lifted out of my chair and walking up, and I remember walking up, and I remember looking out, and I was in a shimmering reality that was touched and I felt seen, and people were just beaming at me, and I was beaming at them. Um, it was like an initiation. It was very, very powerful. It had nothing to do with the, the piece of trophy they handed me. They handed me a plaque with some words on it. I still have it. But it was the experience. It was like a shimmering revealing of um, my genuine beauty. And it was very moving. So creation had a way of giving you something to recognize that you created. Mm -hmm. And that's what we talk about in terms of awards. That Mm -hmm. what we're talking about is that creation is telling you that your creation should continue. Mm -hmm. You should continue to create. Yeah, it's treasurable. It is, it's mountainous. It's... It's rich, and there's an encouragement to continue creating. That's what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. So um, I remember the brochure for the for the workshop that I created, the first eleven month workshop. I gave you a couple copies, and having just holding, I remember holding that brochure in my hand. It was like a sacred document, because it reflected my the prayers that I had for that, that it was a workshop. It was an 11 month tra- transformational workshop called Sacred Passages. And, I, and it, it came out of a very deep place inside of me, deep prayers over a period of time, 
probably 10, 15 years. And I finally had the courage and the audacity to create it. And I remember as I was creating it, I became frightened that it would not be enough, that it would be, people would be disappointed and it would be a nightmare experience for me. And I started not moving forward on it. I, I started to get paralyzed. And I realized at a certain point I was asking myself the wrong question. I was asking myself, will this succeed? And there was no way for me to know the answer to that because that was in the future. And then I realized the, the question that I had is, that I needed to ask was, am I willing to put my whole heart into this? And that I could do, that, that was up to me. And I remember putting my whole heart into it and I remember the first day when we were launching the workshop, I stood up in front of the people in the group, 16 people, they were in a circle. And I said, I want you to know, I have no idea if what I have to offer you this weekend will be valuable to you. I hope it is. It's my wish, I plan for that, but I really don't know. And I've had to work with fears that it won't be. But I am offering it to you with a whole heart that has poured my heart into this. So let's see what we can make of it. That takes guts, Kevin. It was, it was cool. I would have never done that. <laughs> you mean to say it out loud? Yeah, I would have, oh. said, it, I would have said it to myself. Oh. But walking out in front of the crowd oh. saying, hey, by the way, there is a refund on the way out. No refund. I'm sorry. I couldn't have done that. But I, I see what you're saying. What you're saying is that the honesty and truth that you have to share yeah. with the group yeah. was actually part of the process. It, you that's had, right. You had already started creating the process and the process was moving along. Right. And it was actually how processes move. Well, and for me, part of how I mm. seem to function in my most authentic way, is that actually wasn't, it was less frightening for me to say it out, out loud than to hide it. I'm not that successful being able to hide things like that. It, I, I'm able to access more of the strength of my heart and my love by simply acknowledging what's present right now. That's the most solid ground for me. And for that, um, I, I actually have helped so many people find that same solid ground that they can tell themselves, no, I couldn't say that, or that would be too frightening. But once they start risking just saying what is, there's this freedom that comes in. It's like, you mean I can, I can do that? I can just be present with what is, and I don't have to hedge my bet. I don't have to strategize. I don't have to put something between me and the audience. And, you know, I do my best as a, as a therapist to also be very, very real with my clients. And it really helps them discover the way to do that themselves. So your genuine affection, your genuine understanding of the self, your revealing of those pieces that are most sacred to the self, those pieces that we call the self. Mm -hmm. What you are saying is to share the self with the other is to help the other see the self. Yeah, and share the self themselves. And then there's almost like, I mean, the key word that comes out of that for me, Lahav, is liberation. Then we're both out of jail. And That's, we can actually dance. 
Let's go back just a little bit because I don't want people to miss this. I think this is a really kind of crucial point that we need to think about. So let's say it again. So what we are saying is, what we are trying to convey is the authentic self is that always is and always will be whole and connected. Mm -hmm. Once you are connected to that part, then all other things flow easily, whether it's a role in a play right. or in a movie right. or it's a song right. or it's a building that you're building or it's a street you are making or you are raising trees or taking care of horses or you're taking care of children. You are operating from the sense of uh, what the Jungians call the the earth, the animus bundi, the the entire planet. You are functioning from the part of creation. How the planet was created. We are created from the planet. The planet was created in the cosmos and everything that comes to the planet from any rock that hits the planet is adding to life on this planet. That's why we have so much weird vegetation. That's why you go from place to place. You see weird things. You see weird animals. Because we did not come from this planet. We came from the cosmos. We are a product of creation. Do you disagree, Gavin? I, I don't typically think in those larger concepts or mm, ideas of cosmology, but I, I do hear the truth of what you're saying, that uh, it does seem to me as I go into my authentic self, the further I go, the more there is, well, the less and less separation there is with everything around me, everything, and that includes everything on the planet. It's not, it's, it's like this illusion of separation. Now we're getting maybe very heady. But I want to return if I can, because I want to talk about, somehow I'm, I'm prompted to talk about how we are designed to be present in our authentic self and actually function highly effectively. Most of us, I think, have developed ways of distancing ourselves inside ourselves from the authentic self and strategizing about how we represent ourselves to other people so that we can actually be social and we can be effective. But if it's disconnected from the authentic self in that strategy, there's something quite ineffective about it. And quite unsocial. Yes, and quite un that's right, quite yeah. unsocial. So I had a spiritual teacher once who said, the way he framed it was, the first law of spirit, as he was describing it, is acceptance. You accept what is. You may not even like what is. If I'm going to give a talk in front of people and I'm nervous and anxious about whether it will be successful and I'm introduced and I'm anxious, I probably prefer that I'm not anxious, but I am. So for my take, I'll often talk about my anxiety as the beginning of my talk because that's what's most present. And I'll talk about it as I'm, I'm learning how to honor whatever is here that's present so that I don't try to hide it. I don't separate myself as, well, that's not valuable. Let me bring something valuable. 
that whole process of the mind making those distinctions and infusing itself in the lead is what robs us of being present with each other and honest with each other and real. So I'm struck by, and he talked about the second law of spirit was cooperation. Cooperation, cooperate with what is. So again, doesn't mean you like it, but can you can you join, can you be in the present moment with what's going on right now, in particular with yourself? And if you're with someone else, can you risk being transparent about what's taking place? Um, even if it's, I'm not sure what's taking place right now. Is that cooperation, Gavin, or is that sharing, or both? Well, sometimes cooperation might be that it's, it's not to be shared. So it doesn't necessarily have to do with the outer expression of what's real for you. The key is to be connected with what's real for you. And I think it's an art and a craft that is new to people. But once they begin to practice it, it can actually become quite native. And there's a freedom when they don't have to try and represent themselves according to any standard they've made up. Um, particularly when they, early in their life, have had trauma and they've developed ways of protecting themselves, which often have a way of distancing them from their connection with their own experience and how to be um, genuine with other people. I, I find when I'm doing therapeutic work, if I'm residing in my innocence and my curiosity and my care, um, there's such a safety there's hardly any place that people won't let me in if they're capable of letting me in. In fact, they usually go out to their edge and start discovering what's there that they haven't encountered yet. And I'm there with them. So I do think being authentic is a discoverable landscape and territory. I mean, you and I are, are in the midst of discovering what it is that we would like to create together. Yes, because I think creation is ultimately everybody's task in life. Because to be able to see the self, to reflect on the self, to cooperate with other selves, to connect to other selves, to share with other selves, to be with other selves, is to discover the self. And the self only discovers itself by creation. Mm -hmm. It does that through birth. That's why we get pregnant and want to have children. <laughs> It does that through buying a house because that's why we want to create something new, a new family, a new idea, a new way of living. Or it could create itself through a vacation where we go to a place and say, oh no, I want to live here. I don't want to live over there. This is exactly where I should be. That is called creation. So what you and me have stumbled upon uh, is the house of creation. Mm. The problem is when you are in the house of creation, as all people who have created find, is um, you're stuck. Because it is so, as you like to say, uh, delectable. Delicious. Delicious. <laughs> yes, uh, Gavin likes to use a lot of... Uh, uh, words that mean dinner. So <laughs> I get very excited. And I like dinner. Anyway, so I was thinking that so this house of creation, if we may call it. Yes, that sounds good. Has many, many different rooms. Yes. 
one thing I'm struck by is when there's a line of creation, whether it's someone does that by themselves or they do that with other people, but woven in it is an intention to serve the recipient and serve others, people who make movies. The desire is to have some kind of, to have the movie touch the lives of others. Um, my therapeutic practice to be able to make a difference in people's lives, to create a workshop that allows someone to discover a deeper level of who they are and their gifts and their calling. There is, there's not much that's sweeter than that, of, of somehow getting a hold of a wave, allowing it to run through you and just splash all over somebody else. And they look back at you as if, wow, you know, if this wasn't here, that wouldn't have happened. They see it, you see it, and there's there's a joy in that that's just, I don't know. You know, I think it, uh, it reflects on Sidney Pollack. Mm. He threw paint against wall, <laughs> and wall became art. Mm. And art became amazing. And I think what we are saying, you know, is like when I watch Meryl Streep. I watch her transformation because I know she's connected to the self. There is no way on this earth or any other planet mm. that you could go in there and inhabit that personality and that character like it's you without being connected to the self. Mm. She is so expansive <laughs> it's because she knows she inhabits that house yeah. so what she does and I will give you her secret I know she was not going to like this I know she's going to be upset with me but I am going to give you Meryl Streep's secret her secret is she has access to all rooms in the house she does not feel afraid of walking into any room yeah. inhabiting any yeah part of the self and what she does very very well is like a chameleon she moves from in and out but unlike a chameleon you always recognize that it's her Mm -hmm. except when she is doing what she is doing and that's what makes her a master of illusion And my respect to her because she makes me humble. Mm. Whatever I think my gifts are, I look at her and I think to myself over and over again, God damn it, man, you're amazing. Yeah. Well, and your love for her, I can feel it. I can feel your actual saturation of enjoyment of watching her and her craft, not only in the role, but who she is. That's, there's a fluidity that's just beyond comprehension. Now, one of my favorite actors is Anthony Hopkins. And he is just so incredible in how he just falls into a character and a story, but woven into the story and the character is Anthony Hopkins. And they're woven together. And it's, it's almost like you get to enjoy them being themselves as somebody else with a, there's an electricity. Uh, my favorite movie of all time is Meet Joe Black. Mm-hmm. And um, 
but I like many of his movies. Why, why do you like that movie? We never talked about Oh, this. gosh. That movie has so Let, many levels to it. it. Let's talk All about right. it. Okay. Well, it's Anthony Hopkins is a very successful business person. Yes, before we start talking about this All right. movie, All right. I want to make a small <laughs> a disclaimer. A disclaimer. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. We have not talked about this, right? Oh, okay. We have not talked no, about it. No, we have not. No, you like me know. and you no. have not no. had a conversation in the regard. Right. So I want our listeners to hear us talking about this because this is the first thing we're talking yeah, about. That's and right. Like Meryl Streep, like that's Anthony right. Hopkins. We have not talked about it. Okay. So you stop. Okay. So Anthony Hopkins is this uh, wealthy businessman. He lives on the Hudson River in New York. And he's maybe about 65. Very successful. Has an office in the city, an advertising agency. And in the middle of the night, he's woken up and he's, he's having a heart attack. And um, he's being told by a voice that he hears. He's being told things. And he's just shocked. He just, he's, he's now having a relationship with a voice outside of him that is telling him that his life is going to be over. And he's, not, he's not only got a voice outside of him, which is brand new, but it's telling him his life is going to be over soon. Then Brad Pitt serves as the angel that's coming from the other side to usher him after his death to the other side. So Brad Pitt comes in, and Brad Pitt, as an angel in his innocence, is so enamored with being an earthling, he decides he doesn't want to take Anthony right away. He wants to hang around for a while. And he ends up falling in love with Anthony Hopkins' daughter, physically making love, rapturous, beautiful. And so they have this relationship, and Anthony Hopkins is, has to reconcile with the end of his life, the end of his business, the saying goodbye to his daughter, and he does it with such a dignity. And he even starts challenging the angel, Brad Pitt, to not be mucking around with his daughter, who he loves very deeply. And he challenges the angel, even though the angel can call the deal at any time and take him. So there's a power and an authentic voice that he comes into. And so does Brad Pitt come into an authentic voice, that he's really there, not as an earthling, but as an angel. And then he takes Anthony Hopkins at the end and takes him to the other side. Now, we're talking about a very long movie, so you have given some synopsis of movie. So let's, <laughs> let's go back to characters and movie. Let's look too at, brief, too brief? Let's look at Anthony Hopkins. As long as we got into this, <laughs> you, you, you like this movie too? You, yes. <laughs> you, you dragged, I, did, I didn't know you, that. You dragged us into the house. <laughs> it's a glorious that, house. That was, the, that was the symbol of the self, right? That house had everything that the self would need. Mm -hmm. It had love, it had care, mm -hmm. it had cooks, it That's had water. True. Even it the relationship with the servants books. was honorable. Yes, yes, everything in the house... He had an honorable life. ...moved in a way yeah. that was sacred. Yeah. So, that's why um, there was no abuse towards servants. Servants mm. didn't seem like servants. That's they right. seemed more like people who inhabit house. That's right. Even though you still got Hollywood to tell you, hey, by the way, they all stay in kitchen, mm -hmm. they're servants. Right. Yes, we know. But when he goes in there... Uh, I know what you're going to talk about And he's now. talking about... And he says, what is this? And you're talking about Brad Pitt now. Yeah, yeah. we're talking about he peanut says, butter. Peanut butter. For the and first he, time... Yeah, he's never tasted peanut yes, butter. Right, right. He's an angel. 
And, He's in the body. He's and, never tasted peanut and butter. And this is what we say about innocence. Yes. Innocence is the first taste you have of something you've mm. never had. That's right. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be an ice cream. It could be uh, seeing the Eiffel Tower in person. It could be um, going to the Colosseum. It could be the Egyptian pyramids. It could be the Capitol building. It could be anything. You could see something beautiful. You could see something ugly. But it is the first time that you, your eyes, are open to the possibility that something amazing is possible. Yeah. I have, I'm stuck on this term, Gavin, and maybe you can help me with this. Amazing. Oh, amazing. I use that over and over Uh, again. I am amazed by most things. Yes, I am too. Well, you and I have have a childlike quality where awe is a part of that. And it is brand new and fresh. And it's unreservedly so. And you're right. He, he asks to taste some peanut butter because he's heard that it's special. And he goes into the servant's quarter and the servant goes, really? You, you want a piece? You've never had peanut butter? He says, no. So he gives him peanut butter and a spoon and it's the most incredible scene. He takes a bite of peanut butter for the first time and he is absolutely, in that. it gets stuck on his roof. Mm. He can't move his mouth, mm. but he tastes it. And that's where this role of Brad Pitt played. He's an angel. He's innocent. This is the first time. Now, later in the movie, they show what I consider the most incredible love scene I've ever seen in the movies. Okay, hold on a second. <laughs> You're chumping here. Let's, let's oh stay. Let's hold, hold, oh. hold. You will get there. Okay, I will let you explain it all. all right, but all right, all right. listen, what I wanted to say was... Yeah, yeah. The interesting part yeah. is even the cameraman who is panning back and forth <laughs> to show his face. Yeah. So, Brad Pitt is an amazing actor. He is an amazing actor. But, cameraman, amazing. The whole, the whole, the transmission of the entire scene. No, but the cameraman captures, mm. captures face, yeah. innocent face, yeah. asking for something that is not anything really peanut butter who would think peanut butter is a big deal right but he's like what is that um he sees them eating it and he says what is that i don't like what they serve me what is that (laughs) yeah like a child who you know escapes from oh uh, vegetables and what does that tell oh oh, i know right and even the servant said you mean you mean skippy this and he says peanut butter. He says yes, and you could Brad Pitt's like, this is like the first time he's ever even had a conversation with a servant. <laughs> Don't even know what that is. He doesn't even know what a servant is. He stumbled downstairs. He doesn't know what downstairs and upstairs is. He doesn't know social class. He says yes, I would like that. It's just like a child, just like a pure child. And it's that innocence yeah. that gives us inspiration. Mm and gives us access to creation, Mm. the divine, what I like to call the goddess. Yeah. But you uh, talk about, go ahead. I talk about it as spirit. Mm. Tell me. But I don't think of spirit as a person. Mm. I think of spirit as a presence that's all around us. It's inside of us and it flows through us. 
And it's possible to have an extraordinarily intimate relationship with spirit. It's not anything um, to be afraid of. It's not anything strange. It's like our breath. It's like the air. It's all around us. It flows through our lungs. comes in and it goes out. And, uh, and in my experience, it knows us. It wants to know us. It invites us to know it as much as we'll allow. We'll never inflict. And there's a buoyancy of affirmation that the spirit seems to have as its signature. Um, and it's certainly present when innocence is in the game. So it always comes. It always knocks on our door and says, I am here if you need me. Yeah, that's right. And we have turned it away many times in our lifetime. Spirit is always there. It's not something special that Gavin gets or Lyle gets or right. uh, Meryl Streep gets right. or That's right. uh, Brad gets right. or Anthony Hopkins gets or Skippy does. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right? Um, spirit comes to door all the time. It comes in different ways. It comes as an innocent person selling cookies to get you out of the house because you're depressed and suddenly <laughs> you buy cookies and you feel better and suddenly you change that day and that day changes your perspective. You might end up going seeing a therapist or talking to a friend or starting to do something different with your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's creation but creation can only come through innocence? What do you think, Kathy? Well, a willingness to be, to allow yourself to be moved. Um, you, when are you going to let me talk about Brad Pitt making love? Please talk about it. <laughs> like, nobody wants to talk about Brad Pitt making love. I am so, not jealous at all. Go so ahead. Aside from how beautiful Brad Pitt is, which I find him to be extraordinarily beautiful, his essence, his authentic self, underneath all of that skin and bones and whatever it might classify, look, classify as as handsome or good-looking or not, there's a way he makes himself available in the moment. And he falls in love with Anthony Hopkins' daughter. And they end up in this one scene making love. And you see him making love and, and they show his face. And it's as if he's just, for the first time, he's got the pleasure of the body, his heart is moving, he's surrendering, and he's just tasting it just like he's tasting the peanut butter. And it's just so beautiful because he's just fully present, taking in the gift of the experience. It's so erotic, and yet it was almost non-sexual. It was sexual, but it was, it was erotic in the highest sense of the soul that is, is tasting its own rapture. It was just exquisite. I've watched the movie probably 10 times and I could watch it 10 more. So I think what you are saying is in that moment, what happened was the experience of creation and creation itself Mm. was overwhelming. Totally. But if you remember that scene, I go back to cameraman. Mm. Cameraman shows water. Cameraman shows water. Yeah, girl that's right. appearing from water. Yeah, that's right. Girl, she, she came out of that pool. Yes, yes. she comes out dripping yeah, wet. Yeah, yeah. She comes out, she finds Brad Pitt. Mm. He's standing there. 
looking at her like he has never seen anything like her before. That's right. She is the first one that ever struck him in that way. Mm-hmm. How is it you are alive? Why is it you are amazing? Mm-hmm. And how is it that you're here yeah. surrendering to me? Yes, but the only surrender was because she saw his eyes. Yes, she saw. She knew who as he was. As soon as she saw his eyes and saw his right. innocence, right. she couldn't help but surrender no. to him. And in that scene, in my experience, talking about masculine and feminine energies, mm. they were both feminine because they were both receivers of the spirit. It's just, it's just, it's just. There's no. There's, it's indescribable. So what you're saying is that mm-hmm. that scene yeah. is the essence of the feminine, the essence of a part of the feminine that takes us to create something different. Where in the Jungian sense, we talk about the anima and the animas and how they are spirit and soul mm-hmm. and how they change us in different ways, how they move us in different ways. So, let's go back to Anthony Hopkins, since you are very tied to this movie, in this house, <laughs> that we are stuck in and we cannot leave. Yeah. Now, you might think, oh, nice estate, you know, you're stuck on estate, you're stuck in pool, you're stuck in house. Yes, it's true, it's true, it's true. I, I, have, no, I have no argument with you. But here is the problem. The problem is, creation is constantly needing something new. And it's always asking you, do you want to volunteer? Hmm. It's not a question. It's not a demand. It's an invitation. Yeah. Go on, Gavin, tell us. Well, um, the thing that I, I find most, the theme that comes up as we're talking about this right now is thinking about being a man. You're a man, I'm a man, Brad Pitt's a man, Anthony Hopkins is a man. There's something about there's something extraordinarily delicious about being a man in this world that knows that, like for me, in my depth, the depth and the depth and the depth of me is feminine. It's just quite clear. Now, I have masculine energies. I know how to be effective in the world. I know how to be successful. I know how to create. I know how to get angry. I know how to be firm and direct. I'm a well-trained man. I know how to do those things. But the depth of me the, the place with which spirit visits me and which all creation flows from, feminine. It's just, so, it's so clear. And so to me, that's why I was so touched by Brad Pitt, is that he just allowed himself to just surrender, which is just, it's just total surrender. And it was beyond being a male body. It was a soul. It was a soul making love to a soul. So we surrender to the goddess. The goddess is our soul. Yeah. She is our existence, she is our creation, and she creates us. Yeah. You know, when it comes in those waves, I have watched that movie, um, (laughs) I'm sorry, 40 times or something ridiculous. Anyway. 40? You? Yes. You like it too? Well, I like it, and Sarah likes it. I didn't know that. 
She sleeps through it sometimes. Wow. So if I wake up at night, I wake up in the middle of the movie. <laughs> That's amazing. But what is haunting about the movie yeah. is that he walks around the house. Mm. Right? It's the house of the self. Yeah. So he goes into all these rooms. Yeah. He walks in. He's very impressed, by the way. Yeah. Brad Pitt, even as an angel, says, Oh, look at your books and all your things. And he's talking to the self. You think you are better than anyone else. He's talking about the self. He's not talking about the rich and poor. In that context, he's talking about what do you think is good? What do you think is valuable? So he's talking about self. He says, oh, you have books. You have empire. You think you have power. You think this and that. But you are right. He questions him and says, what are you doing here? Are you lost? That's right. Why are you here? This is myself. Okay, I understand. It's time for me. Right. Right. This to, is about you taking me. That's yeah. why you're here. What else yeah. are you doing? Yeah. Then? Are you lost? Yeah. Yes. What? Because I am here. I am. I just want to close shop. Right. And he has Anthony Hopkins and the daughter are so close. The, the love between them is so tangible that Anthony Hopkins starts to feel protective of her and not wanting to have Brad Pitt muck around with her. Suddenly, he has something to lose. He's yeah. never thought he had anything right. to lose right. because he's a multi-billionaire. And he becomes fierce. Yes. Fierce. Yes. In the most honorable way, but fierce nonetheless. But at the same time, he is helpless. I understand. Did you... But even when he says it, well, he knows. He says he, it with rage, but he still well, looks at him like you're right. I am helpless. You're, you're, well, he's helpless because he yeah. knows he can't control Brad Pitt, but he's exerting moral authority of his own truth that says, "Look, you're straying away from your truth, Brad Pitt. You need to take me, and we need to go." So this, you're off course. That's what was quite incredible about it. He's challenging an angel um, who could take him at any time. Heart attack gone. Um, but it's because he loves his daughter. He's willing to risk everything to protect her. And, and, and Brad Pitt does take his counsel. And he's also able to arrange something so that the daughter can be well served. It has a romantic ed- ending. But. You know, before we get to the end, yeah. there is a point where the second daughter, who's yeah. the older Yeah, daughter, that's right, that's right. And they're out in the yard, and she's throwing this magnificent party for billionaire. That's right, it's his 60th birthday. And she wants everything. She wants orchestra, she wants all these yeah. things. It's very fancy. So, for everybody to remember, the reason for fanciness, this, the self is very fancy. The self has many different aspects. Mm. It has an orchestra. Mm-hmm. It has the Bee Gees, the Beatles, and the Rolling Stone. It has everybody at once. It's it got has, Frank Sinatra. It has Tupac. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, has yeah. Frank. <laughs> it has Jay-Z. It has everybody. It's the self. <laughs> Leave it to you to bring Tupac in. So, of course. Because you know where I'm going to go with this. Because Tupac... <laughs> Sings, and I have to talk about Tupac because he's touched me in so many different ways. Mm. But Tupac talks about Thug Mansion, a place where everybody who was not 
cares for, respected, mm. or acknowledged, mm. can die in or live in. Do you mean like to come and be cared for? Yeah, like a heavenly place, a mm. transcendent place. Mm. And so I think, when I think of the Anthony Hopkins mansion mm -hmm. or castle or whatever the fuck that thing is, I think of, wow, that is the self and how expansive it is and how if you are guru sitting in India on top mountain own, owning only a pair of shorts, how lucky you feel and how connected you feel to earth. Mm -hmm. Or, if you are Brad Pitt, the real Brad Pitt, yeah. having a good time in LA yeah. at the door, what's interesting is the connection to the self. Yeah. It's always, are you connected to the self? Is the, self, is the false self leading you down a very difficult, destructive path. Yes. Which we see in the movie, right? Yes, we do. We see his, the protege of Anthony Hopkins, who was going to take over the business, ends up being quite greedy and quite into the love of power. And he's really not in harmony as it reveals itself with the highest expression of Anthony Hopkins' work. So, you know, Brad Pitt employs various techniques to be able to showcase and kind of unfasten all of that so that that doesn't take place. Because the archetypal has always been there to tell us, don't think you are greater than. Right, right, right. Whoever you think you are bigger than <laughs> is going to stand over you and take a pee. Mm. And with that, we close our first podcast <laughs> of Band of Brothers, the Individuation Transformation Podcast. Gavin Fry, Lahab Al Samurai. Gavin, what would you like to say? Thank you, and I, I, I'm enjoying us stumbling upon some things that we share our love with. It's really quite delightful because I can tell you and Sarah love that movie like I do, and I'm just so enamored with that movie. And it's not just the movie, it's because it moves places inside of me. That's what's so powerful about it. And everybody has movies that move things that are powerful. Pay attention to what gets stirred. That's who you are. That's the self. That's the self. The self is always stirring within us. Whether in a rap song, whether in a melody, whether in a country song, and whether you are walking alone, and you are in Syria and getting bombed. You are always with the self. Yeah. Be safe. All right. Take care. You too. We at the Institute of Conflict greatly appreciate all of you listeners. Please share the podcast with your friends and spread the word. If you would like to help expand our community, like us on Facebook, Instagram, and give us a five-star review on iTunes. 
I'm Sonia Mahmood. You've just listened to the Institution of Conflict Individuation Podcast. We'll be back soon.